Yeah, let's run the out of the ball, baby. They're wrestling, so are we. Let's punch them in the mouth. Raise your glasses to kicking everybody's ass. <laughs> what is going on, guys? Welcome back to another episode of the Circle City Sports Podcast. As always, I am your host, Sam Sinclair, and with me, as always, is Jake. Jake, how are you doing tonight, man? Doing all right. Missing the Pacers. It's been a while since we've got to see them. It's almost all-star break time, so excited to talk about a really competitive field and see what the Pacers' upcoming schedule looks like and how it matches up for them. Yeah, the Pacers, won't, once they play the Warriors, if they play the Warriors, you know, the last two games have been canceled uh, for multitude of reasons. Um, it'll be a week between games, which is – Pretty long break. That's probably going to be the longest break the Pacers will have all season, including this all-star break that's going to be coming up here. So um, Jake kind of hit it at the start. So we're going to go into our all-star reserves. Uh, they should be. I think they're coming out this week, if I'm not, if I'm correct. Tuesday. Um, yeah, Tuesday. That's why I thought it was Tuesday or something like that. Uh, and then we'll go in this week's games um, that feature the Warriors, Boston Celtics, and New York Knicks. Some very interesting matchups. So we'll get into that in the second half of the podcast. But uh, we'll get going here to start with the all-star reserves. And Jake, I want, well, I'll, I'll let you start. Um, the reserves got seven spots. So I want you to go ahead and list off uh, your seven players and I'll list off my seven players and we'll go from there. Yeah. I just kind of, I'm going to go down by easiest pick to kind of least confident pick guys that the guy that I think is on the biggest bubble of all these guys. Um, so starting off, I got James Harden. I think he's probably the easiest reserve pick out of every player in the league right now. Um, obviously coming over to uh, Brooklyn, he was kind of toiling in Brooklyn or in uh, Houston a little bit. People were kind of wondering if his play style would fit with the Nets with, you know, he's always been kind of known as a shoot first player, a ball dominant player and coming over to Brooklyn, man, I think he's been really, really impressive. Just that pass first mentality. I mean, he's putting up constant triple doubles, um, huge scoring numbers, carrying them when Durant's out carrying them with if Kyrie's out. I mean, he's really been, I think, even better than they probably hoped for in this situation, proving to be a really good team first guy. And I think as they progress going into the playoffs and, and into these series, I think it'll really pan out for them to have a guy like him that has that kind of passing prowess. So for me, James Harden was a very, very easy 100% pick. Yeah, so I've also got James Harden on my list uh, as a guard. How many guards do you have on your list? Because I was going through – the East reserves. And I was just, I could, cause usually I try to do three, three or four guards and then the opposite for forwards, but I only have two guards on my list. How many do you have? I have three depending on, you know, it, it's so hard how it shakes out. Like sometimes they can twist guys into forwards or guards to try to get them in on their own agenda. But I think given on its face, I have three and then four forwards. Yeah. I've got James Harden on my list as well. Um, and I know you and me had talked about it. We saw um, Kevin O'Connor's uh, all-star reserves ballot, and he had Ben Simmons as a forward. And we, you know, we kept going back and forth on if Ben Simmons should be listed as a guard or if he should be listed as a forward. Um, I've got him listed as a forward. I know you have him on your list as well. Um, go ahead and give me the rest of your list. Yeah, so I went with Jalen Brown next. He's been phenomenal for the Celtics on both ends of the floor. They've been a little underwhelming, but that's not because of anything that, you know, their top guys are doing wrong or anything. Their depth is extremely weak. They've been hit with some COVID 
issues like a lot of teams in the league and, you know, injuries. Kemba Walker has been awful this year and their bench depth is pretty poor, but Jalen Brown's been phenomenal this season. I think this might be the best season he's ever had. Um, so I went with him pretty easily. Then I put Ben Simmons on here. Um, I feel really confident about him just because the Sixers are the one seed and you got to have somebody else. I don't, I've seen a lot of lists with just one with just Embiid. And I don't really see considering how far behind everyone is in the East to the Sixers. I don't see them only getting one, especially because Simmons is a, is a defensive player of the year candidate. He's only averaging about 15, 16 a game, but it's on almost 60% shooting. So even that's not really, I think, a negative thing against him. And then he's averaging eight points or eight rebounds, eight assists. So he's doing everything else in elite level besides scoring, really. He just can't hit threes. Um, but still, he's been a phenomenal all-around player this year after a little slow start. Uh, Jason Tatum's another guy. Um, he'll get in because he's a dynamite scorer. I'm a little more shaky on him than I feel like a lot of people are just because his efficiency is down a little bit. Um, you know, and again, the Celtics are pretty underwhelming. They're at 500 right now. So the case of them getting two all-stars may be questionable, but I think both those guys have played well enough to earn a spot. So I'll put Jason Tatum in mind. And then obviously DeMontis Sabonis deserves one for the Pacers missing two starting players. They're fourth in the East. He's one of only three players in the league, averaging 20, 10 and five on over 50% shooting. So you have the individual numbers, you have the team numbers. I think he's a pretty safe check mark for me. Uh, Zach, Zach Levine is my next guy. Uh, I really like what he's been doing this year. He got snubbed the last two years, and I don't think he should get snubbed again. Kind of concerned about him just because this is kind of a similar situation. Like we saw Beal put up big scoring numbers, and uh, Trey Young is the guy that's kind of on the outside looking in, even with, with high scoring numbers, but he's on really low efficiency. And so that's why I put Levine in. Like the Bulls aren't, aren't an underperforming team. The Hawks are underperforming. Levine has been on a high efficiency. Trey Young's been a low efficiency player. Uh, so I, I have Levine in. I think he's having a breakout season. I'm really rooting for him. And then my last wildcard guy is Julius Randle. Uh, really similar stats to Sabonis. Like they're almost identical. The only difference is they're a little bit behind them in the standings. So he's probably like a rung below Sabonis. But again, you have that 20, 10, and 5 guy. Um, he's only one of four guys averaging that. He just doesn't have the 50 point, uh, 50% field goal percentage. So he's having a really strong breakout season and has the Knicks in playoff contention, which I don't think a lot of people thought. I think there's six right now in the East. So I have him as my last one. Yeah, I've got somewhat of the same list. Um, I was looking over your list, of course, right before this show. And um, I've got one person that's not on your list that's on my list. So we'll go over that real fast. Um, as for guards, I've got James Harden and Zach Levine and Jalen Brown. If you want to put them in the guards, I put them as a forward because I think he's more of a small forward than anything else. Um, I've also got Jason Tatum, Ben Simmons, and Domas Sabonis. Um, yeah, with you were you were mentioning how you were kind of questioning about Jason Tatum. I was too. I was just the efficiency numbers were not there for me and Boston, like you like you mentioned, they had not been playing probably to the expectation that we had them set forth uh, early on in the year. All right. And we just saw them lose to the New Orleans Pelicans on Sunday and they're 15 and 15. I think, but I think a lot of their, their slow start has to do with the lack of depth that they have. And really it's heck it's all Jalen Brown, and Jason Tatum at this point for Boston. So I think they definitely deserve to be in, even though they're, you know, they're a five seed and they're 500 right now and they're kind of disappointing right now. I think it's, I think it's fair to put both of them in. And like with Zach Levine, like what you said, um, 
bad team. He might have loaded stats on a bad team, but he is shooting really efficiently. And he started to become a little bit more of a playmaker for the Chicago Bulls. And I think, like you said, with the Bradley Beal thing, I remember you and me were talking about that last year where it was like, hey, do we put a guy in that's, you know, got high, high, or he's got high stats and he's got, he's you no know, average in 28 a game, but, you know, his team is last in the East or do we put a, put a guy in here that's really solid on a good team? Uh, I think Zach Levine, you definitely got to put him in, put him in there, just because there's not whole there's not a whole lot of NBA uh, Eastern Conference guards that I think are deserving of being a reserve in the East, really outside of maybe Trey Trey Young, and maybe Malcolm Brogdon. It's interesting how you know Malcolm Brogdon, you know we we think he's very a very good player, and I think he's averaging around 20 points a game, and obviously the Pacers have the success that they're having, but you know I have yet to see him on a reserve reserve ballot. So I think that's kind of interesting. Malcolm Brogdon has been in. Um, obviously, Domas bonus. you know, we're a Pacers podcast. Of course, we're going to put Domas in. Uh, but the difference that I have is you have Julius Randle in yours. Um, I have Chris Middleton from the Milwaukee Bucks. And I think I was – Middleton was my last person I put down on the list because I kind of went same way as you as, you know, which player I think most deserving. And I kind of went through the East, and I'm just like, you know, I don't know if I could put a guy like Julius Randle in because he's the they're in the 60 right now. I, I like Chris Milton a lot. He's got very good efficiency numbers this year, and he's been – I think he's taking a little bit more of a step up. Um, even though the Milwaukee Bucks haven't been playing as well this year, um, I just think that with his resume that he has already, it's going to speak for itself. Um, but I definitely think that Julius Randle could definitely get in, especially with that New York media behind him. Um, but yeah, that's going to be my all-star reserve list. Yeah. And Chris Middleton is kind of a weird litmus test for me. I really like him. I think he's a really good second player. Um, I do think though, like, I know he's been in the all-star game twice already, but I think that that's also a, a big part of that is there's been a lot weaker crop. And I think that he's kind of taken advantage of there not being nearly as much talent as there is this year. And, you know, kind of looking at his numbers, like, they're not bad at all. They're, you know, 20 points, six rebounds, six assists, 50, 40, 90. He does this almost every year. Um, you know, but, the, I mean, the, the points are down from last year. Rebounds are down from last year. The Bucks are kind of backsliding a little bit. And I just think, I mean, when you look at him comparing him to Randall kind of specifically, Randall plays a lot more minutes. He's on a much worse team, like, supporting cast around him. And he's asked to carry the load. Like, I think that once you start to get to a second all-star for your team, that guy has to be a standout. Like, Jason Tatum was a guy that I was rocky on, but he's a standout. Like, when you look at his raw numbers, they're still really, really good. And he's a dynamite difference-making player a lot for that team. Chris Middleton is really a consistent guy. But when you look at, you know, his scoring numbers from game to game, when he's considered really a scorer, like kind of just running down a few of them, not going to get too crazy into it. But over his last like six games, 20 points, 13 points, 11 points, 23 points, 18 points and 18 points. So it's a lot of solid, consistent production, but it's nothing that I feel like is really elevating that team to another level. Again, it's not to it's not to blast him because I think he's a really good player. I think he's a high quality second player. He plays well on both ends of the floor. I just think that this year there's so many guys that are really like carrying their team on their back. I mean, Nikola Vucevic is a guy we haven't talked about at all. And he's averaging 24 points. I mean, he just had a, a 30 point triple double 
the other night. So I don't, I mean, Chris Middleton's a really solid, productive, consistent quality player. I just don't think that with the dynamite scoring numbers, I mean, he's averaging less points than Sabonis, Randall, Vucevic, these other guys that are forwards in front of him. And really that's Middleton's calling card. Like he's a, he's a good all around player, but a lot of people really look at him as a, a high quality scorer. And when you have guys like, like that, they're that averaging, you know, 22 points, 12 rebounds, six assists. I mean, you have a couple guys averaging those numbers, which are just really gaudy numbers. I just think that it just leaves room for guys like, like Middleton to kind of get bumped off this year. So I've seen him on a lot of lists. I don't really have a problem with it just because Bucks are, I think third in the East right now, but they've been probably the most disappointing team in the league this year, honestly, when acquiring Drew Holiday and, um, you know, bringing back pretty much the same team. Giannis just got signed to his Supermax. I just think that given their record, they don't really deserve two all-stars with all due respect to Middleton. Yeah. I just think it's, it's going to be interesting with, uh, I think it really will come down to probably the combination of Middleton. So Domas Sabonis and Julius Randle, um, just, two two guys for four spots i think I, I think it's fair to say that domas should almost be a lock just because of the pacers success and how much he's played into it but i just think domas and julius Randle are both front front court guys they're both centers basically and on the nba all-star uh roster most of the time you're only going to get maybe two centers and Joel Embiid is going to be the all-star game starter so um I just don't – that's probably why I put Middleton in is just because I didn't see having three centers. And I saw I, – one of my buddies had Vucevic, Sabonis, and Julius Randle all in. I'm just like, that's just way too many centers, to be honest. But, I mean, I think all of them deserve to be in. I mean, like you mentioned, Vucevic has been very good for the, for the Magic, even though they haven't – the team's success hasn't been there. But that's kind of where I'm at. That's kind of why I put Middleton in, just because I just don't see more than two centers making the All-Star game. Yeah, and I think you can make that's that's the thing is like I think this year more so than a lot of years past, you can make a lot of cases, a lot of really good cases for those guys are going to be 13th, 14th, 15th, kind of in the rankings of of the all star bubble. Um, You know, I just think that especially for the East, that's why we focused on them. Plus, you know, being a Pacers podcast, but I think it's just so competitive out in the East this year for those final few all-star spots. I mean, the bubble guys, but, you know, I mean, to me, you know, kind of circling back to Sabonis a little bit to focus on him in terms of his candidacy. I mean, I, I personally feel like, is he a lock on the level of James Harden? No, but I feel like that if there's four guys that I feel like should be locks in the game, I think he should be. I mean, I don't, I don't really see how you have a guy that averages the numbers that he does on a team that's as successful as he does. And is kind of on a lot of people's bubbles in terms of their rosters. Like, I don't, I don't see any way you really put Julius Randle in over him. Honestly, yeah, I mean, I, I, I really like to, Julius Randle though. I would have to pull it up though. I can't remember where this, where the, the graphic was, but it had Domas as fourth um, in the front court voting among the uh, NBA media members. So obviously the NBA media respects Domas Sabonis, but I think he was like eighth or ninth, eighth and ninth among fans and NBA player voting which that kind of worries me with Domas, especially with the NBA players, because, you know, those are his peers. Those should be those guys should probably be ranking him higher than anybody else. And he's ninth in vote. I think, you know, I don't know, man. I mean, you see those at the, the NFL top 100 lists, how walky those get. And you're kind of like, how did the players vote that? What were they thinking? Well, I don't I think, think that's all. I don't think that's all player voting. I think that's a lot of interns and media people. 
Oh, they do. They do. The players definitely vote on that. Players definitely have a say in that. I mean, I'm talking about you see them leak like player lists that have top 100s on them. And you see guys that have ridiculous people in the top 10. I mean, I'm just saying that generally in in sports, I think that the players can have weird rankings. I mean, they had I mean, if you look at that also, they had Gordon Hayward at 15th among forwards, 15th. And the, the Hornets are in the playoffs, and he's averaging like 23 points per game. I mean, to me, that's that's ridiculous to have to have another guy like that that low. So I just – I don't know. I took more stock in the media side of it because I feel like they have more in line of the coaches thinking, whereas what, what guy is putting up numbers on a team that's winning versus these other guys that I think the players kind of look more towards like what's a more fun skill set, you know, who's harder to guard for me. You know, who's harder to defend? I don't know. Just they have they have different way. All these players have kind of different ways of thinking among their peers. And I, I can see Sabonis not being necessarily a super popular choice among his peers because he's not a flashy show and go guy like he's really physical. I'm sure he gets under a lot of players skin the way he plays, um, you know, just kind of a lunch pail guy. So in a league with a lot of younger guys that really value that high fly show and go deep three oriented offenses. I could see him actually being lower than probably what his actual value is. I think the media probably ranked him a little too high, to be honest. I I don't know if he should have been fourth, but I think he's probably somewhere in that fifth to sixth range. um, If you, if you kind of average it out, but the the players thing really didn't, didn't really stick with me too much because I just feel like that I've seen a lot of player lists on various different other voting rankings in the past. And it's kind of, head scratching some of the things that they do. And that'll be with the coaches too this year, though, also with who they put into the all-star game. We're, there's probably going to be a pick or two that we look at. We're kind of like, what were they thinking putting this guy in with this guy deserving? And, you know, who knows? Sabonis may be snubbed. I mean, we we may be sitting here on, on Tuesday afternoon or Wednesday uh, sitting here, you know, bitching about him missing the all-star game himself. I mean, it's just, they're so close. It's just for me personally, even trying to put my – bias aside for the Pacers and for him personally, I just think that the combination of individual success, I mean, and even if you go past the basic numbers, I mean, he has 25 double doubles and three triple doubles. I mean, the, the counting stats for him are just, I think with their record, I think they're just too good to be a legitimate bubble player based off of the other guys he's competing with. I mean, if you want to say Vucevic should be ahead of him, I guess I could get it. Cause like he's averaging so many more points per game. And, you know, putting up similar like 30 point triple doubles and stuff like that. But in terms of some of the other guys that people are putting him over him, like Middleton, Adebayo, Randall, I just don't see how that's where the case is legitimately made there just based off of team record and personal performance. But I think it is definitely a much, much deeper crop than last year. I'm just honestly, I'm just excited that we have a player in the mix because I know a lot of people when he was selected last year said, oh, well, he won't sniff it next year because you'll have Kevin Durant. You'll have uh, some other guys come back from health, uh, come back from injuries, and he won't even sniff it. So he's just a one time. And and it's possible that he makes it this year. So just to see him make that leap to be in a crop with talented players of this magnitude 
that he's competing with. I mean, guys like Zach Levine and, and Julius Randle and, uh, you know, Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown. I mean, for him to be in the mix with all those guys in, in terms of an all-star candidate, I, I think that's really impressive. And either, whether he gets in or not, I'm just really impressed with the jump he's made this season. So I'm really interested to see what they decide on Tuesday because I think it's it's a really interesting topic to discuss. Yeah, I've got the voting up right here. And uh, Domas was fourth in media ranking right in front of Julius Randle, who was fifth. And then and it's interesting, Julius Randle is ranked seventh in fan voting and eighth in player ranking, one above Domas in, in both. Uh, and they also have, which this is kind of interesting, they had Bam sixth in fan voting and fourth in player voting. So, um, of course, that's a guy we both kept off our list. And, you know, players are regarding him in high, in high standard. And um, I'm also looking down at the guards. I don't even see um, – I don't even see Malcolm Brogdon on here. Heck, Russell Wes- Russell Westbrook, Fred Van Vliet, and uh, Collie, or Colin Sexton are all on this list, which is interesting in itself, I guess. Um, but heck, even I don't even know how many Jimmy, games Jimmy Butler has played. I know he's missed a bunch, but he's right there in fifth, basically for everything. So uh, it's a it's wonky, wonky how they decide on this. But I think the media rank is probably if you're wanting a good guesstimation on how the coaches will do it. I think the media rank is probably the best way to go about it. Yeah, that's that's how I feel. I feel like that the coaches and the media are more in line than the players and the coaches, just because, you know, again, what players want versus what coaches want is is kind of far off. And I think the media kind of understands like what's the what the coaching criteria is. And honestly, that's probably why Sabonis was so high. It might not even be that the media thought he was the fourth best forward. It probably was because they know that coaches value winning and personal performance. And that's a combination that in the East is rare to find right now. I mean, a lot of these guys, yeah, they're putting up great numbers, but they're four or five games under 500. And it's so early in the season that, you know, to be separated by two or three games is, you know, is I I think a difference maker in a lot of these coaches' decisions. So for him to be that high, I think kind of shows that the media at least thinks that he'll be a high-end reserve selection. Because I know that is much higher than he was voted last year. I think last year he wasn't even in the top 10 in terms of uh, voting forward. So for him to be voted fourth by the media, I think is a big jump. And another thing about the media thing that I found interesting with him being that high is that might play into all NBA candidacy. Like when I saw he was fourth in media voting, it kind of made me raise my eyebrows because the media votes for those all NBA spots. And if they have him fourth right now for the all-star game, like if you get if you get Levine or Levert and and Warren back within a recent a decent amount of time and they can make a run and you know obviously his his efficiency will improve kind of where it was earlier in the season I mean he could make an All NBA run with with the way the media voted him and that was in that uh, that he was in that range for them considering that you know you had a lot of really talented forwards and they thought he was a top four forward in the east so I'll be interested to see if that if that's kind of like a foreshadowing for how they view him in the all NBA candidacy if the Pacers can you know get healthy and maybe stay in that top three or four seed in the east yeah and I think a lot a lot of that will come down to where the Pacers sit if they're you know four or five seed or even sneak into the top three I think Domas definitely has a case for all NBA uh, candidacy. It's just interesting. I looked at the media ranking. They've got one, two, and three is Kevin Durant, Giannis, and Joel Embiid, who are all starters. And then, of course, fourth is Domas Sabonis. So, uh, uh, arguably, um, they think Domas is probably the most deserving 
forward slash center that should be on this list. And then at fifth is um a tie between Julius Randle and Jason Tatum. So, um, heck, we could see Julius Randle and Domas Sabonis both get in there. I think they both should be. And, and I think I think a big thing that will work for both of those guys is they're very high up in minutes played. Both of those guys are like top five in the league in minutes played. So I think that the coaches are going to really look at that. Like for Sabonis specifically, he leads the Pacers in a lot of categories or is in the top two or three. You know, he's leading the NBA in like passes per game, defensive miles run per game, you know, screen assists exactly. per game. Like he, a lot of weird, like really, I think hustle stats that he leads the NBA in that I think will earn him some respect from the coaches. And also too, you have to look at it when the coaches vote for guys, look at how other teams defend those players. Like Sabonis is always drawing double teams. Teams are always trapping him. He's always the focal point. Like teams are always going under screens because they don't want him to hit roll to the basket. They don't want him to get his numbers. Like, I think that the way that the Pacers get defended show that the coaches have a ton of respect for what he does. Even if, like you said, the players maybe don't like it or appreciate it as much. You can tell by opposing game plans, like he is definitely a focal point of players that want to be stopped. I mean, even guys that we talk about in that other list, like Julius Randle, he's not even double teamed as much as Sabonis. I think, you know, I saw a stat Sabonis is like the fifth most hard doubled forward in the entire league, like in the post. He's he's top five in terms of double teams. So he gets double teamed a ton. And I think that really shows what the coaches think of him as a player. So I, I think he'll get in. I'm pretty confident in it. But again, it's just we're in Indiana market. It's a deep crop this year. You have some guys with some other storylines. Like I could see some coaches voting for Randall just based off the fact that he would be a first-time all-star. He, he's kind of revived the New York market a little bit. And, you know, storylines matter. But I think all in all, I think Sabonis has a pretty high chance to get in. I would I would honestly be really surprised if he get didn't get in. So I, I'm definitely curious to see if the coaches feel how they think I think they feel and how the media thinks they feel. But I think, like you said, given those early media returns, given a lot of his individual statistics and team success, I think he has a really high opportunity to get in. Yeah, so we'll find out on Tuesday night. Uh, they'll announce the All Star reserves. I think Domas is a pretty much a wouldn't say a lock, but I think he's almost guaranteed to make it. So uh, he's we'll right outside into, those locks. Yeah, he is right there. Um, so we'll get into the next uh, this week's uh, games for the Indiana Pacers if they happen, of course, with the last two games being canceled for uh, different reasons. So Wednesday night they will face the Golden State Warriors, which should be an interesting game. Uh, for Golden State, I need to check their schedule real fast and see if they play another game because they played the um, Charlotte Hornets last night. And, of course, Steph Curry did not play due to an illness. Uh, they do play the New York Knicks on Tuesday, so this will be a second night of a back-to-back for the Golden State Warriors, so that will be pretty big. Um, so we'll have to keep our eyes out Tuesday night to see if uh, Steph Curry plays in that game. Um, but what are, you, what, what are some things you're looking forward to in that game, Jake? Yeah, it's really if Steph Curry plays. I mean, I don't know what the illness is. I mean, obviously with COVID, you you really don't know how those protocols work. I mean, they they held Durant out of like two or three games the NBA did a couple weeks ago because he was a, quote, high contact or high risk contact. Yeah, they took him out of the um, game, too. They took him out and then he had to miss up until, you know, that following Friday. He missed the Pacers game because of it. I mean, it's 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 right now a really touchy situation with how guys that are sick are treated are they going to just quarantine him out of you know out of uh out of caution or are they just gonna 
temperature him, temperature check him, see how he feels. I don't know. I think that if he doesn't play, obviously that changes everything for them. So um, really what I'm going to be looking for is, you know, does he play? And if the Pacers can make sure they're obviously guarding the three-point line better because that's what those Western Conference teams do. That's why even terrible teams like the Wolves were able to stay with us because we leave three-point shooters wide open on the defensive end. And even bad teams, they, if, they, if they can hit their threes, they're going to keep up with you. I mean, that's part of the problem. That's why, you know, you're a big three-point shooting statistics guy. And that's why, because if you're hitting threes, you're never out of a game. So even if you're playing a 7-21 and 21 team like we were the other day with the Wolves, we were allowing everyone to get wide open threes. I mean, we were leaving everybody open. So. And they were and they're bottom of the league in offensive efficiency too. So yeah, they were they're rough. I mean, they just they just had a game where they scored like eighty seven points. So they, that definitely was just not not ideal to see from the defense after you know some kind of revitalized life recently um, from that defensive unit, and then they go against the Wolves. And I mean, when you play those Western Conference teams, if you struggle to defend the three point line, it's it's definitely going to bite you because that's what they do. I mean, the East and the West does truly play different styles of basketball. I mean, it's, it's odd because you feel like all of the league at this point would be kind of that run and gun spread three shooting style. But, you know, I mean, you have teams in the East like Milwaukee and, um, you know, Boston to a certain extent and Indiana, obviously, I mean, New York, they're more of a balanced team. I mean, they, there's a lot more interior play in the East than the West. So I think that plays at the Pacers hand better. But, I mean, they definitely struggle against teams that shoot the three, and they're the worst in the league statistically giving up threes over 40%. So it's definitely a game that if Steph Curry doesn't play, you would think it's a win, but you have to ultimately guard the three-point three shooters, and also they have to attack the interior uh, with Turner and Sabonis, which I've I've been kind of on, on this a little bit about Nate Bjorker, and I've loved a lot of the things he's done. I think he's been really good for our offense. But I do wish that when we have these matchups like this that we're going to go into, he would just kind of pound it inside more with those two guys and allow them to take advantage of these smaller defenders. And it seems like we become a little too perimeter-oriented, perimeter and that plays in the hands of teams like Golden State, who are more quicker and athletic, as opposed to big, where we can utilize our size if we attack the rim and um, use our bigs to kind of attack the post and stuff like that. So I, I hope they utilize that matchup. It'll be interesting to see. I'm still kind of waiting for that to become more of a staple in this offense. Sabonis still gets his post-up touches to a certain degree, but Miles Turner, they don't utilize it at all. Um, I wish they would utilize that more with him um, just because again, he's six foot 11 and he's, he's a guy that's been drawing fouls at a better rate this year, been more willing to initiate contact offensively. So if nothing else, you can get people in foul trouble and get them to the line. Um, and, and with, when you have teams that really want to play fast and on the perimeter, I think it really behooves Indiana to kind of pound it inside and, and, and get them in foul trouble and slow the game down. So for me, those are going to kind of be things that I'm going to be watching for this game. Yeah, obviously Steph Curry is point A, B, C, D, E, E, G, F, all the way down to Z when you're playing the Warriors, especially this year without uh, the Warriors. They're probably not going to have Kevon Louie, Kevon Looney, Clay Thompson, uh, James Wiseman, their, their stud rookie, and um, I think they're missing someone else possibly. But uh, obviously uh, Steph Curry is going to be the main focal point, and he's been – man, he's been just insane this year, averaging 30 points a game, yep. making about five threes a game. Uh, the percentages aren't there, but that's because he's shooting about 12 threes a game, which is ridiculous to look at. But I mean, he's playing near an MVP type level, but I think it'll be interesting. Something I 
kind of hope that happens, I think will happen, is we see a good amount of Edmund Sumner minutes on, on Steph Curry. Because I think last year when we went on that West Coast trip, uh, Edmund played a lot against Dame, uh, Damian Lillard and Steph Curry, and he, he did a really good job against both those guys. So I'd be interested to see if new Nate plays Edmund Sumner a good amount against Steph Curry uh, on Wednesday night. Um, he did play a good amount. And they, of they also too. They did one more thing too. They also did a really good job on Trey young. Like, I feel like that's been something that Bjorkren had. We've struggled with wings. They eviscerate us, but I think Bjorkren overall between Steph Curry, Trey young, and some of those other guys, those high explosive uh, scoring guards. I think we've done a much better job of defending that than, you know, kind of those bigger wing players. So, and we didn't really play Edmund Sumner at all when we played the Hawks. So I feel like that Nate Bjorken kind of has a little bit of a niche, a knack for that in terms of just being able to defend those guys to a point to where they get frustrated that on ball pressure defense kind of frustrates them. So if Steph Curry does play, I think it'll be really interesting to see, like you said, do they put Sumner on him or do they leave holiday on him? Um, Justin holiday. That is, they put Justin holiday on Trey young a lot. Um, in that last game and see, see what he can do. But I think in general, I just wanted to point that out that I've noticed this year that they've been actually really good against those high octane three point shooting uh, point guards. Yeah. I know Trey young was going before that Pacers game. He had a very strong stretch and I think he, I think he shot under 50%, well under 50%. And it was a rough game for him. He didn't hit a three. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I'm just looking at the Warriors, uh, their basic stats and, they're 20th in offensive rating and fifth in defensive rating. I did not know I'd be saying that again about a Golden State Warrior team, especially with Steph Curry. And and a Warriors team playing Steph Curry, Kelly Oubre, and Andrew Wiggins on the same lineup. Definitely think there would be a little more offensive firepower on that. But, I mean, for Warriors fans, I mean, if, if you see that you're fifth in defense right now, I mean, that bodes well for you when, when Clay Thompson comes back. I mean, you should be in business at that point if – if that's how your defense is performing. So, I mean, yeah, it's definitely kind of a turn on its head in terms of what we've seen from the Warriors in years past. But in the last game we played them, they played hard. I mean, you know, they, our, our guys got their numbers and we won the game. But I know specifically for Sabonis, it was a really kind of really grinded out matchup because Draymond Green really, I think, wanted to guard him. You know, just judging based off of how he attacked him defensively, I think, you know, he kind of wanted that challenge and wanted to see how he did. So, you know, it was a it was a tough grind for him. You know, they were kind of getting in, in Malcolm Brogdon's passing lanes a little bit. And, you know, they were feisty. I mean, they were just watching them defensively. I was kind of surprised at how much effort they put in. But I know that they're a better defensive team this year and they got some long athletes. I mean, like you said, Wiggins and, and Ubre alone are both really long athletic wing players. So to have those two guys um, or something they're going to have to watch for to make sure they're not turning the ball over. That's another thing that the Pacers have had an issue with, with these kind of more athletic, longer teams is, you know, turning the ball over, like they get in our passing lanes and our passes become predictable. So we uh, turn the ball over at a higher rate than we should, which costs us in these games. But all in all, I think that if Steph Curry doesn't play, this should be a win, um, especially being off of a whole week's worth of rest and, 
you know, yep. getting those guys kind of energized and refocused. And, you know, you saw how, how strong Sabonis and Brogdon were earlier in the year before, you know, they kind of wore down a little bit. So hopefully this rest kind of gets those two guys recharged and gives uh, Bjorkren a chance to kind of adjust and tinker with some uh, lineups and some schemes and insert some plays and stuff that he wants to do. And um, I think this was a good opportunity to do that. So hopefully coming back, we get a pretty softball opponent, especially if Curry doesn't play. So um, this is a game I think the Pacers should be able to handle business at. Yeah, I think the Pacers are going to win this game with or without Steph Curry. And I remember I was listening to uh, the um, the Low Post podcast, um, and they had uh, they had De'Aaron Fox on, and that he had Zach Lowe asked um, De'Aaron Fox the difference between their losing stretch and their winning stretch that they were coming in uh, coming in with, and he literally said it was practice. They finally had time to get into the meeting room and get into practice, and I think. Maybe the Pacers took a few days off. I don't know because, you know, those cancellations kind of came the day before, so they were more likely prepping for games. But this this week week off that you got, especially with the team that's going to be coming in off the second eye of a back-to-back, uh, that's going to be pretty big, especially against the team. Uh, they're going to be playing the Knicks the night before. That's going to be a pretty tough, grinded-out game. So you're, you're going to be um, fresh for the picking. So I think the Pacers will get that win against the Golden State Warriors. Um, so we'll move on to the next game, the second of three games this week. They'll be playing pretty big matchup. This will probably come down. This will be the four or five matchup uh, in, in the Eastern Conference playoffs. We've got the Indiana Pacers going to Boston to face the Celtics for the first time uh, this year. Uh, Boston, looking at their schedule, they'll begin, they're going to be playing the Dallas Mavericks and the Atlanta Hawks on Tuesday and Wednesday night after just coming in off of Boston New Orleans Pelicans in overtime. Pretty tough loss. Uh, Jake, I know you got to watch that game before we got on here. Um, and then they'll play Friday night against the Indiana Pacers. So, Jake, um, I know Jason, we, we just talked about Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum um, being a big part of the Boston Celtics. But what else are you going to be looking forward to in that game? Yeah, I think for me, this is the first time we play them without TJ Warren. We had that uh, season series kind of thing where they do the back to back games. Sabonis was incredible in both those games. You know, uh, he had one player of the week, um, you know, off the win uh, against them where he had the game winning layup at the end. And, um, you know, again, they had they played them uh, following game and unfortunately weren't and able to pull like that out. It seems like about five months ago. It feels like forever ago. I mean, the schedule has just been so condensed. It feels like all these games that were in the beginning of the season were from different times. But, uh, yeah, that was a really nice series. But we also had TJ Warren and you know, I've harped on this for a while that without him, the defense is totally different. I mean, no disrespect to Miles Turner. He's a defensive monster. He's been phenomenal this year, but without a wing presence, without a guy with Warren's size and strength uh, to be able to guard players like Tatum, who, you know, anyone that watches him, he's a really physical guy. Like he's not a finesse player by any stretch. He has no problem putting his body into people and kind of backing guys down. Um, in the post. So, I mean, really the only guy we have for that is Justin holiday that has the, the size to guard him and he gives up a good amount of weight on Jason Tatum. So, you know, I mean, between him and uh, you know, Jalen Brown, I mean, again, it's just, 
to me, it, it, it funnels down again until they fix this. It's always going to be for me, like the road, the defensive rotations. Can we find it on the perimeter, especially can we find somebody that can guard their wings? Um, because if not, uh, Jason Tatum could legitimately go for 40. I mean, we've seen some of these other wings that are middling players get 30, 35 points on us just because again, we don't have a body to do it. I mean, it's not, it's not a slight on anybody on this roster or, anything like that. But if you're putting Justin Holiday and DeMontis Sabonis on players like Jason Tatum, I mean, that's just, that's a recipe for disaster. So, you know, and that's really where the Pacers are at right now. I mean, they have no other avenues with Warren out and Levert also is a guy with that kind of undersized, um, you know, length and stuff like that. So, you know, without, without guys like that to defend these wing players, I'm always going to be really concerned about how we're going to look, especially because, you know, this leads to a lot of overhelping. This leads to a lot of, you know, wide open shots. And, you know, I mean, we, Caitlin Cooper's great at this showing these, uh, you know, defensive video threads and, you know, watching that uh, one of hers the other day, just seeing how these guys are coming up to help and it's leaving wide open cutters on a lot of these defense and possessions over and over and over again, a lot of that leads to not trusting each other and not having, you know, all the right bodies to be able to stay sound in your assignment. So when you have stars on this team, like Jalen, uh, like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, um, you know, and even Kemba Walker, I know he's been garbage this year, but I mean, if you leave a guy like that wide open and he's shooting, you know, practice three pointers, he could pop off for 20, 25, excuse me, 25 points per game. So they have a lot of talent um, on the front end of their roster is where, you know, you kind of get into the bench and, you know, that four or five, I mean, you know, Tristan Thompson and Daniel Tyser, you know, not def definitely not an ideal matchup. If you're going up against Miles Turner and DeMontis Sabonis, um, that's a definite advantage the Pacers have. Um, you know, I don't know if, uh, I don't know how Malcolm Brogdon is going to do against Jalen Brown. That's kind of been, an issue with him, like high, if you have high quality defensive guards with the attention he's currently demanding offensively, I don't know if he's going to be able to have the kind of effectiveness that we're hoping for or used to seeing from him. I mean, I kind of look at that game against the Bucks where you had, um, where you had Holiday guarding him. And he really just, I just neutralized Malcolm Brogdon. Like that was the worst game I've seen of Malcolm Brogdon in a Pacers uniform. And that was really because Drew Holiday just did a masterclass defensive performance on him. And that's, that's kind of what Jalen Brown brings. I mean, he's a, an elite all NBA defensive player. And, you know, in this matchup specifically, that scares me um, because you see that if Brogdon's struggling, Sabonis is probably going to struggle, even with a good matchup. Like there's just, it's just too easy to guard Sabonis if, he doesn't have a guard that he's strong in the pick and roll game with or guys moving around him. And that's been kind of a, a problem is, you know, stagnation and, and just the offense doesn't flow and move and the ball hasn't moved well. And, you know, there's just, there's kind of a lot going on right now, honestly, but in this matchup specifically, I think it's going to be, can they contain Jason Tatum and offensively, how are you going to be able to engage Malcolm Brogdon in a way that allows him to shed some of those high high end defensive players that the Celtics have that I think physically match up well with him. And we've seen that if you have a guy that can stop him at the rim or prevent him from driving, it, it's been tough sledding because the three point shots not there. So um, that's going to be the two key points for me. And ultimately, I think the Celtics win this just because, again, it's just we can't stop wings. I don't think offensively we're flowing very well. And the Celtics are still really talented. And, um, you know, just with, with our 
roster deficiencies right now with the injuries we have. I just don't really like this matchup as much as I will when we're healthy. But I think if we do win, it's going to be riding like Miles Turner. I think we'll have to have a big game. I think Sabonis will have to find ways to really score. And then you'll have to have somebody like McDermott or, you know, Justin Holiday have a big offensive game like they've had, um, you know, at times when the Pacers win. There's always like that random you know, third guy that'll, that'll go off. It's always a rotation of either Aaron, Justin, or Doug. One of those guys will really, you know, come in and and score at a high level when the Pacers need them to in those wins. So they're only running eight man rotations. So they don't really have too many options uh, for guys to come in and do that. But if if it's, if they're going to win this game, it's going to, you need the two big guys to put up big numbers because of their matchups. And then one of uh, Justin, Aaron, or Doug to kind of make up for what I expect to be uh, a tough challenge for Malcolm Brogdon. Yeah, I think Malcolm's probably going to take Jason Tatum. I believe he did. I believe he took a majority of the time in the first two games. Uh, and I think that was kind of the difference in the first game when the Pacers won uh, by one point was that Jason Tatum only shot nine of 21 from the field. And that's, you know, very below average for what Jason Tatum could do. And Jalen Brown played a good game in both games. Um, but I think Boston really goes with what Jason Tatum does. And, you know, we saw it tonight where he played really excellent they came the game came down to the wire but like you said I think it's gonna it's gonna come down to the bench unit and especially playing on the road um you know Boston like you said only plays eight to nine guys and even even then those eight to nine guys Jeff Jeff Teague Grant Williams Peyton Pritchard I don't think those guys are as good as the Pacers bench players so I think you know if you can get 15 from from Jeremy Lamb 15 from Aaron Holiday and just get your regular stuff from your starters I think the Pacers could steal this game but Playing in Boston against Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, two all all star players. I think I think Boston's going to take this game, but I would not be surprised if the Pacers won. I think, like you said, just with the matchup of the wings right now, it's just not favorable on the Pacers uh, side. But I think I think this team we're going to more likely to see in the playoffs, and I think that I, th- I think the Pacers could take them in a seven game series. Yeah. So when we're, when we're healthy, this completely changes. Like right now, I don't like this matchup. If we have TJ Warren and Karis LeVert, I love this matchup because then you have the guys on the, on the perimeter that are more capable of guarding Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum. And like you said, Malcolm Brogdon, I mean, I'll give him credit is he's been asked to guard bigger players in the past than him. And he's done a really good job. I just don't think that it's a thing that can sustain success for you. And I think that's where the Pacers are in a little bit of a bind right now is you can't ask him to guard a wing the whole time. I mean, he's, he's already your, your point guard offensively. He's already doing everything offensively. You can't then ask him to consistently guard a six, eight, six, seven, six, nine wing that, you know, is jumping out of the stadium, which, you know, someone like Jason Tatum. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and, and when it, what, what it changes is when you get Warren in there, and, and Brogdon switched on those guys on certain possessions, it doesn't hurt you. Like his, his defensive versatility is really important and he does a really good job on those. So when you get Warren back and then all of a sudden you're dealing with switches and pick and rolls and, you know, switches along the perimeter, like Brogdon can guard Tatum for a possession or two, um, you know, here and there. I mean, if you have him on him occasionally, I think he'll do fine. I mean, and that's one thing that I really like about Malcolm is, you know, he's a, he's a true combo guard defensively. He can guard the top, you know, one and two and then three at times when it's not consistently playing and play out, playing and play out because he has such uh, such responsibility on the offensive end uh, controlling the offense that 
you don't want him necessarily doing what Sabonis is doing right now. I mean, Sabonis is in the same boat, kind of running around on the perimeter, chasing these forwards while also having to control the offense. And, you know, I just think that that's something that Brogdon will be able to avoid once they come back. And then you have the inside um, advantage that you have with Sabonis and Turner. I think that's probably the biggest mismatch, um, you know, moving forward. And I think that outside of those top, handful of teams. I think the Celtics are the team we probably match up the best with um, just because they're top heavy. And, you know, again, you have that, that inside scoring presence that, that I think is a big advantage and can get you to the foul line if you take advantage of it. So right now I don't like the matchup, but I'm with you. If, if we have a first round matchup with one of those potential top four seeds, maybe we're the four seed, hopefully, but if the Celtics is, are the five seed, I would be happy with that matchup. I would really be interested to see, how that goes because you know as as great as Jason Tatum is and Jalen Brown are like they're not really on that level of like a Kevin Durant offensively or you know even like LeBron in the playoffs can consistently get you like 40 points a game over a series if you need them to I think that those two guys with with sound solid defense I think they're a little easier to contain as talented as they are and then with everything else considered, the bench depth, front courts, and stuff, I think that that's that's actually a pretty favorable matchup for us, considering the alternatives. So I'll be interested to see how these teams play later on. I don't think we play them again um, for the rest of the regular season, but I'll be interested to see how it looks if they're a first round matchup. Yeah, I don't think they play again. So this obviously this game will be critical in terms of uh, playoff seating, if especially if they go by percentages. Um, I don't know how likely it is the Pacers and Celtics end up being the same uh, win percentage, but obviously you want to have that 2-1 series edge. Um, so we'll see. That's a Friday night game. That's a pretty big pretty big one. Um, then we'll move on to the last game of the week. It'll be the second night of a back-to-back. The Indiana Pacers will travel uh, to New York to face the New York Knicks. And, Jake, I'm not feeling great about this game. I mean, we, we've been talking about the Knicks for a few times on this podcast already, and – Man, they're really they're really tough this year. They're really solid all over, all the way around. You got Emmanuel quickly, their rookie rookie guard coming in. They just picked up Derrick Rose. They've got Julius Randle, like we've talked about. I I'm not completely confident that the Pacers could take this game. Yeah, and it it, it all boils down to with Tom Thibodeau, you can expect a really really high quality defensive effort. And that's really, I think, been the difference of that Knicks team this year. They're still not, I mean, that's the thing is they're still not overly talented. They have some nice pieces like Julius. And that's, that's the thing with Julius Randle to me, why I think he should be an all-star, you know, high, high option for an all-star spot is like, he's really the only guy that scares you on that team. But RJ Barrett, I mean, from at least from the Pacers perspective, or when we played them earlier, um, and when we, when we played them earlier in the year, R.J. Barrett had a lot of success against us. So he's a guy you have to Killed look him at. Killed him from three. Killed, Killed him. Us. I mean, I mean, fortunately, he's he hasn't been anything outside this this that matchup. So maybe that was just a fluke, uh, fluke couple games. I it's mean, the, it's the team. It's the team. Uh, I know. It's it's, it's if like you play it's the like Pacers, the Terrence Ross. It's like the Terrence Ross thing. I mean, again, though, it's it's not like I can just sit here and say, oh man, the basketball gods hate us. We're letting these guys shoot practice threes. I mean. You know, Sabonis and, would shoot forty-five percent from three if he played the Pacers every game. I mean, these guys aren't RJ even Barrett, being challenged. And, and going into that second game against the New York Knicks, RJ Barrett, I don't think he had made a three. I mean, he uh, the first the, in the first two matchups, uh, there was six games played in those first two games total for the Knicks, and I think the only threes that RJ Barrett hit were against the Pacers. So I mean, yeah, 
you're playing to the numbers, which I don't I don't have any fault in that. But you talk about uh, the New York Knicks with Tom Thibodeau. Obviously, they're going to be tough. We should have saw this coming. I mean, it, he did it with Minnesota. He did it with Chicago. They're third in defensive rating this year. Yep. I did not know they were that good on defense. Yeah, they've they've been. I mean, it's and like you said, that's just the thing where wherever he goes, they're they're going to perform defensively. I mean, he's just an old school coach. He has a lot of guys on that roster that really play to that. Um, that play into his strengths as a coach. And that's why you're seeing, you know, an increase in record, despite not having an overabundance of talent on that roster. Again, it's not to say they're not, you know, balanced. I mean, you don't, you don't get to nearly 500 as a team, you know, with only having a 23 points per game score on your roster. But I, I just think all around without having those guys that kind of strike fear into you, um, you know, I think that he's done a really good job as a coach. And I think that, you know, the thing with the Pacers is you can't turn the ball over against teams like this. I mean, that's been that's been an issue against teams that have active hands, get into the passing lanes. I mean, when you right now, if you look at, you know, specifically Brogdon and Sabonis, where they get into turnover trouble is teams that have active hands. I mean, teams that are willing to play those passing lanes and want to exert the effort on them to make sure they can't pass the ball. So I think that the key is those two guys can't turn the ball over and really how well can you contain Julius Randle? Um, you know, he's obviously, I think the head of that snake, um, he's doing a lot for them playing a ton of heavy minute, t- playing a ton of minutes. Then he actually leads the league in minutes played. Um, I would not be shocked. If, if not, he's, he's top three, he's top three right now. I don't know if he's the top, but he's definitely right up there. Um, so that's the thing, obviously hoping that, somebody like RJ Barrett or Alfred Payton or Austin Rivers. I mean, they, they have guys that, that if they went off, I would just kind of be like, well, that's the Pacers. That's how it goes. So, you know, I just think that they have a really solid collection of talent. A lot of guys that kind of play into what Tom Thibodeau wants to do defensively. And at the end of the day, the Pacers, I think for, for their offense really push the pace in this. Like, I don't think the Knicks are a team that necessarily want to get out and run. So yeah, if you're last, if, last in pace. Yeah. So if you, if you can get out and run, I mean, even with the guy like Sabonis, I mean, Sabonis has actually been uh, a really good transition player this year, I think in terms of being able to get down the court and score quickly. So I think, you know, he's your weak link there per se, but I think the Pacers at least on paper are a much more capable running team than the Knicks are. So if you can pick up the pace, kind of get it into a shootout a little bit, don't allow them to get into their defensive sets and throw them off early. I think maybe you can get them out of sorts to where, you know, that's, that's really the key in stopping a lot of these random players going off is, you know, when you let them get into shooting rhythms early and allow them to make defensive plays, their comfort zone is activated. I mean, they're, they're feeling like they're, they're at practice or, you know, they feel like they're in, in a zone per se. So if you can keep those role players out of position defensively, pushing the pace, wearing their legs down, then that, that changes a lot of that in terms of, we, we joke about these teams, random players going off, but you know, it, a lot of that has to do with the way you're playing. I mean, because if, if we're attacking and RJ Barrett has to keep running up and down the floor defensively and um, you know, his shots are contested and all that stuff, he's not going to make six or seven threes. I mean, he's just not the type of player. He doesn't have the talent to do it. So that's, that's what it is, is we have to make sure that we're not playing into their strengths and we have to make sure that we're contesting and not allowing these wide open cutters, 
wide open three point shooters and, and, and get down double digits. Because if you get down to a team of this defensive caliber, it's just going to snowball. It's what happened with, uh, with the bucks. I mean, the bucks are, are a team that, you know, has, hasn't really been a, a world beater and yet they beat us by almost 40 points because, you know, they were playing the defensive passing lanes. They got us down early. They were hitting wide open shots. We were allowing them to get into defensive sets. So it really forced a lot of turnovers on our part. And I think that you could see probably not to that effect because they don't have Giannis, but you, you could see a situation where the Pacers could get ugly pretty quickly in this game if they don't try to put New York out of their comfort zone. So for me, I think that's the key is is how much how much energy are they going to be playing with in this? And then also too again, containing Julius Randle and making sure that as their primary scoring option, you're kind of shading to him and treat him the way a lot of uh, teams treat Domas Sabonis. Yeah, so I just found it here on team rankings. First is uh, James Harden with 37 minutes per game, and then Julius Randle is 36, or is second with 36 uh, minutes per game. Uh, then sadly, you go a little bit down the list, and you find fifth and sixth are Domas and Malcolm Brogdon. So that's um, not ideal. Both are 36 <laughs> minutes a game, which are not ideal. But, yeah, I think it's going to come down to the defensive turnovers. I, the Pacers have lost a good amount of games just because of the turnover margin. Um so we'll see. I think that's going to be probably honestly might be the toughest game for the Pacers to win. Honestly, I think they could definitely beat Boston, but that new, that next game, I'm just not totally sure about. So we'll have yeah, to I see. Think, I think, I think out of all the three games, that might be the game I feel the worst about, honestly, just because yeah. they, they have that DNA of teams that have really just snuck up on us and made us look really bad. I mean, regardless of record, it's not, it's not about the talents of team that we play. That's caused us to look bad. It's, the way the team plays against us that's made us look bad. Like we've made, you know, again, with, 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 uh, with Minnesota, I mean, they were forcing turnovers. They were, you know, hitting open shots. I mean, it was just, if you play with energy defensively against the Pacers, it's put us in a lot of bad positions. And that's why, that's why uh, TJ McConnell has been so huge for them because he puts us in pace. He, he pushes the offense. He does not allow these teams to get set defensively and force these turnovers against us. When he's in the game, we're pushing the ball. We're, we're getting down the court. We're getting quick baskets. We're getting open looks. We're getting good shots. That's why he's been so valuable. Um, you know, so I think just for this team in general, they just cannot let these teams continue that these teams that thrive on defense, they just can't let them continue to get hunkered in defensively on all these possessions and continue to allow us to, you know, lackadaisically move the ball around in, in screens and, you know, uh, dribble handoffs and, you know, Malcolm Brogdon standing at the top of the key, dribbling the ball around until Sabonis comes up and, you know, sets a screen for him, all that stuff. I mean, that's what, that's what causes turnovers is it's just this offense right now is not in pace and they're too predictable. So it, it's just, this is the same type of team that will come in and smack us by 20 just because they may not be the most talented team. And on paper, the Pacers, even without Warren and Levert should be able to beat them, but with the way they played and their pace issues, I just think even with Bjorkren, like the pace has been a problem. And I, a lot of that starts with Malcolm. Like he's got to push the ball up the floor a little bit better, um, you know, as the offensive leader, you know, in, in terms of the ball handling. So I, I just, I think that especially during this week rest, I think that's something that I hope that they kind of watch on tape and see that repeating theme over and over and over again is that in these offensive games where they struggle, teams are just 
easily manipulating our passing lanes, easily forcing turnovers. Guys aren't moving around to where you can make a lot of crisp, quick passes. And, uh, you know, I just think for, for me to feel better about this game, I need them to come out on, on, on these first two games and show, yeah, the energy's there, the ball movement's there, the pace is there. Then that way, without those ISO scores that can handle the ball, and, and be able to attack guys, uh, break down defenders one-on-one, then you won't have the same problems that we've had uh, in the first uh, couple dozen games. So I think for me, that's what I'm going to be looking at, not just in this game, but in the whole week specifically to see what the energy and pace looks like. Because in, in a lot of our losses, like you've said, we've lost a number of them on turnovers, and, and a lot of it can be traced right back to the slow pace that they play at a lot of times. Yeah, so it's going to be interesting to watch this week. I mean, you got the you got the Warriors coming into town. They're going to be feisty, of course, and then you've got two playoff teams in the New York Knicks and Boston Celtics. So it will be a big big week, even though there's going to be three games on the schedule. So um, just make sure you guys watch out for that. Uh, we will come back with you guys next week, next Monday, and we will recap those games and preview next week's games. I think it's probably going to be the last week for All-Star break, and hopefully they'll have the second half schedule released. So we'll We'll have all that for you guys, so make sure to tune in. We appreciate you guys coming on and listening today. We hope you guys have a good rest of the day.